0: Welcome back to another audio adventure here on Insight. I'm Chris Van Vleet. Thank you so much for being with us. And if it's your first time here, well, I hope you stick around and maybe listen to another few episodes that we have in the library. Make sure to hit subscribe or hit follow wherever you're listening because we've got some great conversations that we're cooking up, including this one with the masterpiece. This is actually the second interview that we've done, but the first one here on the podcast The first interview was almost three years ago at a wrestling convention in Orlando. You can, of course, check that one out on my YouTube channel, which is simply called Chris Van What an original name for a YouTube channel. But since you're here, since you're on the podcast, snap a screenshot. Let us know that you're listening. Tag me on social media. I'm at Chris Van Tag Chris Masters. He is at Chris Masters 310 on Instagram and at Chris Adonis on Twitter. And we've got less than a month to go before my birthday, which is May 19th. So if you happen to be listening to this on your iPhone right now, it I, I'd just be it'd be so great if you could take 27 seconds out of your day to leave a review on Apple Podcasts because we're getting so close to that goal of 2000 reviews. So close. Yitert man 16 left this review that says, "The best interviewer ever." Chris is the best interviewer of all time. I love his interviews. He does such a good job interviewing his guests. It's such a great show. Thank you, Chris, for producing this great show. Well, thank you for the great review. I super appreciate you listening to this show. In a sea of other podcasts that are out there, I appreciate you, ye turt man underscore 16, and you who's listening to this right now in your car or on the treadmill, or walking your dog, or preparing your meal, wherever you are, I appreciate you. So thank you. And I'm going to keep reading one review on every single episode until we get to 2,000 reviews, or May 19th. Man, we're just coming up real soon here. My guest today is a very large man, and a very nice man. Please welcome the masterpiece, Chris Masters. all right it's happening chris and chris here although only one of us is the masterpiece and that's chris masters so thank you so much for joining me
1: yeah good to be on with you again man uh hopefully uh, last time i wasn't really as aware of you last time but uh you did had a great interview and then i saw all the uh different people you've interviewed it's amazing man uh, you're a cool dude so i'm glad to uh, be on
0: with you again man dude that was three years ago that we did that first interview Can you believe that? No. Time flies. I can't. And in that time, you and I have traveled together to a wrestling show, traveled back from that wrestling show, and the whole time in the airport, we're like, we got to do this thing again.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I've been looking forward to uh, coming back on with you. And yeah, man, I think it has felt like a long time. But then again, you know, this last year of the pandemic has felt like multiple years, really, because we've all been through so much. So I guess that's part of it, right?
0: in some ways it's felt like multiple years and in other ways it feels like i don't know like nothing's happened this year so you're like oh yeah i guess the last time i saw you was six months ago which also might have felt like six years ago or six days ago i'm not sure totally totally but a lot's happened since then you're uh, you're now crushing it in nwa you're the national champion right now so congratulations
1: Thanks, man. Thanks. Yeah. It's been, uh, it's been a lot of fun. It's been good to get back to work and, uh, it's been good to work for a company like NWA, which, uh, you know, I've been watching them, uh, over the last few years and just seeing, uh, you know, I just, I love the whole idea of what they're doing. You know what I mean? I, it's kind of, it's got an old school feel to it, you know, the studio wrestling feel, feel, but, um, you know, I'm a fan of, uh, that wrestling you know the storytelling of that era and you know kind of everything it represented and uh uh i just i really like what they're doing and i like what we're doing collectively in the collective mindset
0: of nwa it works really well for you because your character feels like an old school heel (laughs) yeah 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 and
1: that's the wrestling i grew up on you know there's a lot of people i mean wrestling has certainly evolved in a lot of ways but i think there's certain things should, that should stay the same you know what i mean in terms of you know the selling the storytelling you know and all that stuff with the business but uh you know it's not to say i don't love some of the new style today too you know these these uh the young guys are very innovative and in doing things in high spots that to which we thought we'd never see but uh you know i i i do like that old school feel and you know i feel like even though we have an old school feel i feel like nwa uh When you watch it, uh, you know, the guys still look contemporary to me.
0: Have you always been jacked? Like, were you a jacked teenager?
1: Uh, (laughs) no, no, actually, uh, I was really skinny growing up. Really, I was thin as a rail, man. Like, uh, my mom and my cousin used to joke around and call me the number one, because I was just so... (laughs) Yeah. But, um, you know, I started working out when I was like 15 years old. Uh, and once I start decided I wanted to become a pro wrestler, it seemed like a logical step. So um, that was my uh, my start into working out. Like I even had a first period weight weight training class in the tenth grade that I didn't do anything in. You know, like I just I wasn't in that mind that mind space yet but then it was a short time after that you know i always had loved wrestling i mean wrestling was always my number one love and i decided that i wanted to seriously pursue it so then working out became like you know the obvious step and so i took that on as a hobby and started uh, doing it obsessively
0: but look man i started working out when i was 15 as well and i don't look like you
1: Ah. Uh, well, you know, I got to thank my dad and mom for those genetics, man. I mean, honestly, that's a a big part of it. It's not to say uh, you personally couldn't get built. I'm sure you could. I don't know exactly what you were doing. But, you know, genetics really kind of determine your, uh, you know, your potential. You know what I mean? In terms of like, you know, what type of size or build and all that stuff you're going to have. So it helps out, you know, uh, you know, I was always a pretty tall guy, you know, at least, you know, reasonably tall. I mean, I'm 6'4 now, but I was you know pretty tall throughout my whole uh growing up and uh you know luckily i had broad shoulders too so that um kind of helps you know that
0: whole look so were you the guy that like after six months of working out you were already like putting on some serious mass
1: uh i put on you know like in my traps and biceps like okay. specifically you so know was what like I mean, a high
0: school workout to me
1: well, they, you know, they were just the first thing that responded. I mean, maybe I was, I guess I was maybe doing a little bit too much of curls and upright rows and stuff like that. But, um, you know, that was kind of the first thing, you know what I mean? That kind of responded to me. Like I always kind of had a you know, bicep peak. So, um, yeah, man, but it was all just a part of, you know, I never, you know, a lot of people always thought I was a bodybuilder, you know, turned wrestler, and I've already retold this a million times in a million different interviews, but it was never, that was never the case. I took up bodybuilding because of my love for pro wrestling and wanted to get into pro wrestling.
0: Which is an interesting thing because you look at a lot of wrestlers now and unfortunately there's a lot of wrestlers that don't look like they've ever worked out. And, you know, maybe that works for them and their character, but it's so interesting to look at you who went, okay, I grew up watching wrestling. I know what wrestlers look like. So the first steps for me are get in shape to look like a wrestler.
1: It's funny you say that, you know, I was joking around the other day because I went over, you know, when I went to the NWA tapings, there was, uh, I got picked up at the airport and there was somebody who got picked up with me that I hadn't met before or anything like that. I didn't know who it was. and It was uh, this guy who comes down and he's only about, he's like five foot 10, maybe about a buck 50 or something like that. And the, the business has changed so much that I just assumed, hey, maybe this is some wrestler I haven't met, or maybe this uh, really popular indie wrestler or anything. But then I, I come to find out like later that night that, oh, no, he's just a cameraman. <laughs> so he's a photographer so um you know it, that just kind of goes into what you were saying yeah the business has changed a lot and I'm not disparaging um you know I uh, you know there's always going to be a place for big guys in wrestling you know what I mean it's nice to see um guys who aren't necessarily Hulk Hogan or something like that get opportunities but um you still want to have guys that look like grown men you know what I mean so you know I kind of fall on both sides of that but uh, like growing up I was you know, I loved The Ultimate Warrior when I first started watching wrestling, but you know, as time went on, I really kind of started appreciating not necessarily the biggest guys in wrestling, but you know, like the Bret Hart's and Shawn Michaels and Kurt Henning and the you know the guys who weren't necessarily the they're they're not small guys by any means, but yeah. they weren't like the uh, giants of professional wrestling.
0: When you go to a locker room now, you're probably one of the biggest guys in the locker room, easily, right?
1: uh well on indie wrestling shows but funny enough i did a show in florida just about a week and a half ago i was in florida yeah, actually um and um i wrestled a guy who was not only uh taller than me but you know about four feet wide He was about 450 pounds or something like that so it was one of the those rare occasions where um You know somebody was much bigger than me so it kind of uh it's kind of fun for me though to have people we get to work with people like that because it's a completely different style of match at least for me you know i'm not the big guy imposing my will on him as much as he is on me
0: you know you talk about growing up watching wrestling and i love these throwbacks that you put on instagram like you with stone cold steve austin you with (sighs) china like these are such great photos and you had like this long stringy hair like it, it's just such a great throwback that these are the people that you admired and then you ended up working with them
1: yeah it you know it blows my mind man like i was the biggest fan the biggest mark you could ever imagine man like i i'm like to be you know, when I first got called up to WWE and I was sharing the locker room with all guys I grew up watching, you know what I mean? It was just so, uh it was intimidating. It was super intimidating, man. Cause you know, I respected everybody. Like when I was a wrestling fan, uh, you talked about some of those pictures. Like I didn't care who I met. I wanted to meet everybody. You know what I mean? Like, like HBK was my favorite, like obviously, but like, I just, I respect everybody. I just looked up to them so much and what they did. And I was like, you know, I just thought the world of, uh, professional wrestling and pro wrestlers. And, um, I had a lot of cool experiences growing up between, um, you know, me and my buddy used to sneak backstage at WWE house shows all the time. I got to meet everybody. That's where a lot of those pictures came from is us sneaking backstage at the Arrowhead Pond of Anaheim out there. And, uh, you know, we would just, we would try to be as inconspicuous as possible. We eventually smartened up and stopped wearing wrestling shirts so that they wouldn't identify us right away. And I, you know, I joked with Dave Hebner about it all the time because uh, Dave Hebner would always kind of find us and kick us out. So, you know, it was kind of funny when I eventually came to work and I was actually employed with World Wrestling Entertainment. And then I saw Dave and, you know, I kind of reminded him of all the times. Obviously I looked nothing like I did at that point. So he, didn't necessarily like look at me, and be like, "Oh, you're that guy." But I told him, "Like, they used to kick us out all the time from uh. Back. We used to try everything in our power to avoid him at all costs."
0: How does how does one sneak into a WWE house show?
1: Well, we didn't sneak in. We bought a ticket to a house okay. show. One of my one of my buddies found this service elevator in the Arrowhead Pond. He found this <laughs> door that led to a service elevator, and the service elevator would take you basically right to the uh, backstage parking lot. And so we would get out there and we would kind of, you know, at first we would go backstage. And like, I just remember uh, I was such a fan at that point. It was so funny that um I saw uh, Bret Hart and Sean within like five feet of each other. And I was like, I was so, I couldn't believe it. I was like borderline, like borderline sprinting to go meet these guys. But also in my head, I was thinking like, these guys hate each other. Like, how are they within, you know, five feet of each other or whatever. So, um, but then, you know, we'd be kicked out. So we would just kind of, at a certain point, we would go downstairs and then we would just wait in the parking lot instead and not go backstage and just try to get them as they were leaving And But we met like a ton of people like that, man. I think I have a picture with Vince McMahon. You saw the one with Stone Cold. I mean, we met everybody.
0: When you first met Vince as a wrestler, he must've just looked at your physique and went this guy is exactly what I'm looking for. Oh, especially, I I think,
1: especially at at that time, compared to even now, uh, I'll say this. I know that um, I reminded Vince a lot of Paul Orndorff, Mm. you know, I don't know if we had talked about this already before, but sometimes I forget to bring it up, but I reminded Vince a lot of Mr. Wonderful. So uh, they really had me watching a lot of him. And even they even had me work with Paul Orndorff, uh, the weekend of WrestleMania 21 when it was out there in LA uh, Paul was there obviously. And they had me work out in the ring with him a couple of times, which was, you know, very interesting.
0: So when you're growing up is the plan, I'm going to be a wrestler and that's it. There's no backup plan.
1: Yeah. I mean, it was, and you know, I talk to kids all the time and I tell them, you know, it's funny you bring this up because uh, yeah, that was the plan. And I was like, I don't know. I had this, I just, I felt, like This is my passion. This is what I'm pursuing. And I went all in. And man, I started working because I needed to get a job to buy supplements and stuff like that. And I didn't even end up finishing high school, which fast forward to now I'm actually, you know, throughout this pandemic, I've been working on my GED just because I wow. figured, you know, there's a lot of things I didn't get done in my life because I fast tracked wrestling so much. Like I wanted to get into it as young as possible, which I did. You know, I got signed at 19 and all that, but you know, I neglected a lot of things. So um, you know, now I'm even going back and yeah, I'm getting my GED and, and stuff like that, just because these are valuable, valuable information to know and skills and whatnot. And um yeah, I mean I, I, I forgot I'm going on kind of like a rant on this, but how did we uh how do we get basically on basically saying ending?
0: you had no backup plan.
1: Yeah. Oh, no bad. Yeah. No backup plan. Yeah. I just went all in into professional wrestling. And, you know, I tell kids all the time, like and any who might be listening to this, uh, you know, when you have a dream or something like that, that's great. And uh, pursue it, of course. But like in my case, I was too much of a rush to get there. You know what I mean? Like I, mm-hmm. if I could go back, I would have just went through the process, finished school, maybe even, um, you know, took a couple college courses, but essentially just enough time. For me to mature so that I wasn't, you know, making, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars at the age of 20 and just completely irresponsible and not know how to handle it. You know, I just, you know, when you do something like that, I mean, it's not that you 100% need that stuff, but they're valuable life skills that um, I missed out on because I was so such in a rush to pursue that dream so uh that's kind of my advice to any young people who are trying to get into wrestling not that they ask for it but i'm just saying if you're a potential pro wrestler and you want to get into it cool do it and you know go to a school and you know be responsible but just you know do what you got to do first you know finish school and all that stuff
0: i just can't imagine having that conversation with my parents i can't imagine at 16 going you know what i'm going to drop out of high school so i can be a pro wrestler they'd be like Christopher, because they call me Christopher, they'd be like, "Christopher, same for you." This is ridiculous. You're staying in school. How did that conversation go with your parents?
1: I well, you know, it was only my mom around at that point. I didn't meet my dad until much later, so I'm, I'm assuming probably if my dad was in the picture, it might have went very different because of uh, he values education very highly. But um, you know, it it wasn't that I just decided to stop going to school, man. What it was is uh, I started working. And I was working like I was pretty much I was doing the schedule where I was going to school uh, from eight to three. And then I was working from 4 p.m. to 9 p.m. So I go pretty much straight to work because I needed to make money for uh, this stuff. You know, we didn't have a lot of money. And then I would go to the gym from 10 p.m. to 12 p.m. at night. So you can imagine my days were very full and I wasn't making time for homework. I was missing days. And, you know, so school suffered and uh, it wasn't by me just deciding not to go it was just I was working and you know the gym like it was just I was spread very thin.
0: Priorities you had different priorities what kind of job were you working at the time?
1: Oh my gosh you're gonna kick out of this um like smoothie a smoothie shop man. I worked at um <laughs> my first kind of job job was at this place called Hollywood Smoothies over there in LA uh um, and then I ended up going to work at Jamba Juice, which is a popular joint. Everybody knows about Jamba Juice, so. I think, now.
0: They headhunted you. The other smoothie shop couldn't pay you as, as exactly. much as
1: <laughs> Yeah, they signed me. they signed me up Jamba Juice, and then they uh, promoted me to a main event. Uh, what is it? Ship leading position. They actually did. I, I got promoted within there, and then... You know, I did that, and then I eventually ended up working at, uh, you know, a couple other jobs, like YMCA as a trainer. And then for Muscle Mag International, which actually you would be familiar with being a Canada guy, uh, yeah, Muscle Mag had a store over in Venice, Venice Beach area. So that was the last job, like job job I actually held because I got um, signed to pro wrestling while I was working there, and I still have yet to enter the real workforce
0: since then. Well, you know, you have those skills. You could always go back to Jamba Juice if you need to.
1: (laughs) Uh, Well, you know, the the sad thing is, is I mean, you know, I hear when I hear about the minimum wage and it's still the same minimum wage from when I was in the workforce. That's a little like, wow. Oh, my gosh. You know what I mean? Like, how are people surviving? And um, I mean, that's a whole nother topic to get into. Nobody wants to hear about it on uh, our show, but um, it's uh, crazy.
0: When did you first realize that you were making strides in wrestling and like you were really starting to get noticed? Uh,
1: you know, when I came back, you know, I, I started training at 16 and I got injured. I fractured my ankle. So I took a couple of years off and just focused on, uh, you know, maturing and weight training and that stuff. And then when I came back pretty much immediately, cause, uh, when I came back, I came back in great shape and, uh, I was going to UPW in California, which is run by Rick Bassman, and you know WWE keep you know it's basically like the West Coast developmental territory. By that, I don't where that's so, where
0: Cena got discovered, right?
1: Yeah, and you know, see the Cena thing. Cena and me go back to that previous time I was just talking about. You know, when I started at sixteen, Cena started the, around the same time as me, uh, maybe even the same day, and then we were training for a few months and then i ended up injuring myself and i had to have surgery on my ankle and so then i had uh you know a good took a couple years off and then came back and then cena went on his way obviously a short time after that he went to ovw and then he was on wwe and you know i was just kind of a couple years behind him
0: so we're talking you're like 18 at this time
1: when i came back yeah 18 uh, i think yeah so i i started so i took a couple years off came back at 18 started training again and got signed by the time i was about 19 so it happened real quick
0: yeah like and you talk about like missing out on like some of that formidable time when you were young but at the same time when this is happening and you're 19 years old and being offered a wwe contract i mean you feel like you've made it at that point
1: yeah it's the ultimate i mean that's you know um when you anybody who chooses you know when one of the things i love it that, that i get you know obviously i would have liked to do a lot more and still would like to do a lot more in the business but um one thing that always kind of keeps me it's kind of fun to hear is when people from that i grew up with and stuff like that are always like so complimentary over the fact that like you did exactly what you said you were going to do you know what i mean and there's there's something about that when somebody cuz anybody can say they're going to do anything but when you see somebody follow through and it, it's from a young age or something like that it's uh and especially when it's your dream you know what i mean when you follow your dream i mean that's the kind of stuff that really inspires people and uh it was really cool
0: i mean you said that you weren't a bodybuilder it was kind of like a byproduct of being a pro wrestler when you got that size did you feel like you had to keep that size
1: um, only after I came out, you know, when I came back one point and, um, so I I had to go to rehab in my first WWE run. And, uh, when I came out of rehab, I was, I was lighter, you know, cause I was basically everybody thought I was doing the rehab for, uh, they just assumed because of the character it was for like steroids, but it wasn't, you know what I mean? It was I had a prescription pill issue, which... You know obviously a lot of people have had in the business but um so but then when i was in rehab you know i would wake up every morning and i would go on this like beautiful two mile run so i'd wake up every morning and i'd start with a run and but for someone like me like when i do stuff like that like i just basically i was doing that every day to keep my sanity and i wasn't stepping on a scale and by the time i left that place i had lost you know a good 15 to 20 pounds so i came back when I came back from that I was much slimmer and um I felt you know it was I didn't have even really thought about it because I was battling uh, deeper issues obviously if I was in rehab you know what I mean so I wasn't thinking about that but then when I came back to WWE and you know I heard a little bit of chatter about it I was like then I felt a little pressure I'm like oh you know I should I gotta put on you know I gotta go up and at least like try maybe put on 10 pounds or just eat a little more or whatever because uh you know, the reaction was enough for me to kind of, like,
0: yeah, I think that a lot of people just went, Oh, he was on steroids before he's now not on steroids. This is the difference.
1: That's the, yeah. And that's the, you know what? I can't even fault them for that because. Uh, you know, if I was just a casual viewer or somebody not really kind of hearing these interviews or something like that, that's probably just what you'd assume. Like, oh, he had to go to rehab. It must've been for steroids. And then when you see he comes back and he's, he's lighter, it just, it just makes sense. And so, uh, but that wasn't the case. It just, it it just wasn't really, you know,
0: I, I think when people, when, when you have the size that you had and then you fail a wellness policy test, I think people go, oh, what's obvious what's happening here Mm -hmm. what was it that you actually had a problem with which painkiller
1: uh you know just opiates in general and you know you hear a lot about this now because of hollywood as you know just interviewing the people you do and pro wrestling obviously sure and uh you know the beautiful thing is uh, when you look at the business now that they really have done a good job of washing that part like we've kind of turned the page on that at least a bit you know what I mean so um for me yeah it was opiates and muscle relaxers you know like I had gotten various injuries like my eardrum got ruptured and I remember I was in tremendous pain from it this was an OVW and uh, I had to eventually go into the emergency because I couldn't sleep and my ear was ringing and then they uh, wrote me the doctor there wrote me a script for painkillers and then uh you know, just various instances of either injuries or, uh, and you take them and then eventually, you know, it becomes more of a dependency, you know what I mean? Then, than even something, you know what I mean? And especially when you have the accessibility, like, so for me, I went, I had unlimited access to it and I was making a lot of money. So it kind of like, you know, it kind of spiraled and it became a big issue for me, you know, gradually with time. It didn't happen overnight, but it started with these little instances, like I just pointed out to you, like the eardrum rupture and whatever else, and then eventually access and then money. And, you know, I have an addictive personality when it comes to stuff like that. So it pretty much, uh, yeah, it kind of took control of me for a good while there. But I'm, what, you know, I, I'm lucky. I am I always feel lucky that I survived because, I mean, I literally, you know, some people might not believe this, but I mean, I shouldn't be here. I was taking numbers that were astronomical and uh, I survived it. So it's really, uh, you know,
0: I'm lucky. Yeah, you hear stories like Kurt Angle will talk about taking like a fist full of painkillers to get out of bed. Is that what we're talking about? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I was
1: right. That's what I was thinking about because I've heard a lot of Kurt stuff recently, and I know, you know, I was right up there. I don't, I know, I didn't have the injuries that Kurt had. Let me clarify that by all means. So he he had much more justification for his issue, but like I was kind of right up there with Kurt in terms of how much I was taking. You know what I mean? And it just gradually got there, and you know, I was still functional, but um, you know, it's just sad because even when I I look back. And there's a lot of memories from that time frame that I don't really have. I don't really have a lot of mem- good memories. You know, a lot of stuff is cloudy from back mm-hmm. in that time frame, And I don't know if that's because of my, uh, you know, going through that battle and just not, you know, you don't have clarity. Like, you know, sometimes people will ask me about stuff in the past and, you know, there's a lot of stuff I just won't remember. I don't know if it's because of that, but it feels like there's a lot of memories that have been either you know, not retained or whatever, because of potentially that.
0: How much of that is from pills and how much is from concussions?
1: Well, that, that, yeah, that's the other thing. I mean, you know, who knows, you know, I'm not completely sure. I mean, I've definitely been hit in the head a few times and had some pretty nasty concussions. So I, it's hard to say, you know what I mean? If how much or how little my brain is functional from that, like, you know, there's a lot of guys who've had it a lot worse than I have you know what I mean in terms of getting hit in the head with chairs and various things so uh you know that's why I kind of you know even I didn't feel right about entering that, you know that whole concussion suit with WWE it's like I don't know that just to me it seemed like you know I'm not you know they didn't force me to do anything you know what I mean like we kind of knew what this is getting into it and I don't know I just didn't feel like that was anything I wanted to be a part of
0: at what point did you realize oh my god i think i've got a problem with pills was there something that pushed you over the edge
1: Uh
0: or was it, it failing a the test
1: no it, it took a while because you know like wwe had an intervention with me and but oh you god. know yeah they did i mean and they they that's why that's why I essentially had to go to rehab, you know what I mean? But I think it wasn't, it wasn't really until I got released. And then I would, I think it, I actually remember being in Europe for some independent tour. It was, uh, I forgot the name. It was, I think it was American Rampage is what it was called. And I don't know. I just kind of had this moment where I looked in the mirror and I had thought about, you know, everything I had lost up until that point and, you know, kind of where it potentially got derailed and, um i think that was kind of my moment and and this was after already going to rehab and stuff like that you know what i mean so it goes to show you when you're an addict how like you you can even go as far as you can go into rehab and all that stuff but you really you know you have to really believe it yourself and know that you have a problem and sometimes you'll go into that stuff not with that understanding and you know maybe it won't work for you which is why you know rehab doesn't work i don't know what the statistic is but they say it doesn't work for a huge percentage of people and that's probably because a lot of those people going in or were either forced to or they uh they weren't really they were they didn't accept that they had a problem yet they were still in the middle of it you know what i mean so sometimes you got to lose and you got to lose and you got to lose some more until you finally have that moment where you're like oh my gosh you know what i mean like what is you know what i
0: mean yeah i mean you're right i think you have to realize that you want to get help or else you're not going to be able to get help
1: yeah totally totally
0: so when we look at you getting signed wwe at 19 i mean you've hit that's the pinnacle things are great and you're on a fast track like you're working with some of the biggest stars in the industry you're in title matches at what point is it you know is it a weekend is it a month in is it six months in do you go Oh my god like i I can't believe i'm in these types of storylines
1: um you know i'd have to point it out to it all kind of started because with me they were just building me like when i first got there it was uh you know it was kind of a lot of uh enhancement matches there's a lot of master log challenges it was a lot of building that finish and my first real program was, uh, coincidentally, was against, you know, Shawn Michaels, the guy who I'd grown up idolizing. So, and it was kind of from that point that everything kind of started for me because I started working with Shawn. Then, you know, when you work with somebody, you obviously you take that to the house shows. And then, like, even for the rest of that year, I was working tag matches against uh you know, like teaming with Hunter against Sean and Flair or Shawn and Big, me teaming with Edge against uh, Sean and Big Show. You know, just various different tag matches like that. And um, it was kind of around that time. I would be involved in some of those matches and I would just see the Nate entering the ring with his robe, you know, all, you know, just like sparkling. And I would just be outside the ring, giving him the ring for his entrance. And then, you know, HBK would coming out and I would just... You you'd have those moments where the fan in you is almost kind of like got goosebumps. But, you know, but it's funny because it's like a tit for tat with the performer because, you know, you have that moment. But then, you know, as, you know, action is getting closer, you got to kind of snap out of it because, you know, you want these guys respect and you want to put on a good match with them. So you kind of have to get over that feeling. So that you can, uh, you know, really go in there and perform and do it to the best of your ability. Because, I mean, if I approach the match from that headspace, I mean, you know, I would be far too gentle with both of them. You know, <laughs> so, so, uh, yeah, man, that was, I think that was kind of the moments uh, right after starting to work with him. And then working, you know, the house shows, as you know, we, we'd work all over the world, man. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? It was just... Uh, four nights a week Uh, US Europe Australia everything
0: in your debut match you famously or infamously broke Stevie Richards nose at what point did you realize you had broken his nose oh my gosh that was terrible um (laughs)
1: Man, I don't know what moment. it I think I realized right away because it was a miscue big time. Like I was, you know, I was aiming to come across the top of the chest and I hit him right in the face, man. And um, oh, it, was, it was just awful. It was awful. I mean, it's the only time I've ever injured anybody, luckily. and it, But it was really traumatizing. You know, Stevie was very angry and justifiably so uh, backstage. And um, I think I just knew right away that I, I probably um, – Hurt him, and it was just—it was a tough day all around. Because I mean, I've told this story a million times, so I'm not going to go too deep into it unless you ended up wanting to. But I got food poisoning the day before from eating a turkey wrap at a gas station in the middle of nowhere. So, like, not that that has anything to do with necessarily breaking Stevie's face, but it was just a rough day because I was as sick as I've ever been that day, throwing up. I couldn't hold down a drop of water. I was, you know, just kind of laid out on the doctor's table all day. And then on top of it, I go out there, you know, I try to muster the energy for this big debut. And, uh, you know, I psyched myself out and, um, you know, trying to do as good as possible. But then, yeah, I end up nailing him right in the face with that Polish hammer, man. And I broke his nose. I broke his, um, the eye bone. And, um, yeah, it really just, it really sucked. You know, I, I still apologize to him to him uh, for it this day. And, uh I don't know i just i've, I've always kind of held it as a badge of honor the fact that like i did injure stevie that day really bad but i made a promise to myself from that from that point that like hey you know that was it you can't injure nobody from this point mm-hmm. on you've already like you know that's it that's you know what i mean so um and luckily to this day i that that's been the only injury that i've personally caused not not to say Somebody has gotten hurt in the ring uh, under some kind of circumstances while I was in there, but it wasn't uh, directly related to anything I did to them. So like I kind of hold that as a badge of honor and uh, you know, I just never want to do that to anybody again.
0: Is the silver lining to getting food poisoning, the fact that you look extra shredded when you go out under those lights? <laughs> that's that's a one way to
1: look at it. But the problem with that was is, I was more uh, deflated than anything because I had lost so much weight because I was throwing up that morning too. Like I, I I went downstairs to have breakfast just like normal. And like, I took one bite of it and I was done. I couldn't eat. And then I just remember I was with Michael Bucci, Nova, and we would, we went over to the tanning salon and somewhere, I think right before I went to tanning salon, man, I just started hurling. Mm. And so what happened was is. What you're saying might be true, but I think more so that by the time I actually debuted, you, I had lost 10 pounds and I felt like it actually kind of deflated me a little bit. Like maybe I'm the only one to
0: notice. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to Indeed data
1: I I don't know, but like you know, I think I would have looked better essentially if I hadn't been like that sick all day. You know what I mean? Because I I
0: I remember watching your debut live and going, "Oh my god, that guy's massive!" Like you had, uh, I mean, seriously, you're one of the like all time body guys when you think about it. (laughs) Well, that's cool. Yeah,
1: I I mean, I don't know. Again, I I feel like I lost ten pounds, so like for me. I'd rather have been able to eat normally and all that and I uh, wasn't as worried about. Because I, I always stayed pretty lean, you know what I mean? So for me, it was more like, oh, I went from 260 to 250 in one day and I had to debut like that.
0: This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Is there something interfering with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 48 hours. Now, this isn't a crisis line, this isn't self help, this is professional counseling done securely online. There's a broad range of expertise available, which may not be locally available in many areas. The service is available for clients worldwide. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses, plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room with traditional therapy ever again. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Visit their website and read their testimonials that are posted daily. Visit betterhelp.com slash insight. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash insight and join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they're recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. So the special offer for anybody listening to Insight right now is 10% off your first month. Just go to BetterHelp.com slash Insight. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot slash Insight. Was there ever a point where you thought, I'm too sick to wrestle? Did anyone ever try no. to help you out of it?
1: You know, it's your debut. Like, that's the thing. Like, think about it. I think you're a lifelong wrestling fan, too. I mean, just anybody who's a lot, you know, loves, breathes, eats, sleeps pro wrestling. I mean, just imagine that it's your debut and you're sick. It's just, it doesn't even come to mind. Like, you just know you have to. So, um, I just remember it being a tough day, man. I was drinking gently. The only thing I could keep down was a little bit of ginger tea all day. Like I was, you know, drinking a little bit of that, and it would give me a little bit of relief where I'd feel a little better, but it's just, you know how pro wrestling is, man. It's just, it's not even, it's not like other things, like no matter what, you've got to get yourself out there and do it. So um, I don't think it crossed my mind. I think probably in my head, I wish it could have been an option, but like, you know, this has been built up. They had been running vignettes for weeks and then, you know, they had, circled that date they'd even said it you know what i mean this is the night so you just know there's there's no way around
0: it i i that's amazing that you were able to have that kind of performance when you were feeling as sick as you were feeling man when you look at your career you had you had a huge push and i'm curious to know if you were ever considered to win the title
1: uh yeah i think early on i mean uh you know, I was considered for a lot of stuff. I mean, I was considered, I was supposed to win the Intercontinental title, but then the the, uh, the intervention we talked about earlier, it happened. So then it didn't happen. And uh, I know the specific night and everything. Uh, I was supposed to win the tag titles with Carly at that WrestleMania where we were at Big Show and Kane, but then that got switched the day of because of a change of plans, you know, which happens. That's one thing you learn about pro wrestling is you learn to, never count your chickens before they hatch type of thing. It's like, until something actually happens, you can't 100% count on it. It's just, you know, you learn that time and time again. But, um, you know, there was even a pre-taped shot with Vince and me where he was alluding to me being potentially the youngest WWE champion of all time. And this was even after Randy had won it. And uh, I know they, they were considering Cena and me for an angle. Like, I think probably looking back that, if anything cena might have shot that down like i don't think cena was too happy working with me around that time frame but um i don't why, know that why for would he sure. not be happy
0: working with you
1: oh i you know like i i could have good matches with with uh you know i had good matches with hbk but i don't know cena felt like he had to leave me you know what i mean That's probably cuz i was i was new and stuff like that but um you know he just felt like he had to leave me and, and, and i don't know it was just a little more difficult for us uh, ring chemistry wise i guess you know what i mean but um i don't even know that for sure you know what i mean but um because i just know I, I was working a lot with Shawn michaels and i was working a lot with john cena in terms of the house shows and like you know sean was an easier match for me to have but then again sean had how many years of experience you know what i mean and it yeah. and as over as john cena was uh you know he had started in the business you know we had essentially started the business around the same time together so i think that might have kind of been you know although i had gotten hurt and then he had gone the ww and all that much before me i think you know that might have been um part of it you know what i mean like the uh you know there wasn't a guy with Shawn michael's experience in the ring type of thing
0: yeah i i think one of the biggest things when people bring up your name is missed opportunity and a lot of fans feel like there was a lot of missed opportunities with you. Do you feel like there were missed opportunities?
1: Uh yeah, but I mean, it's not anybody's completely anybody's fault. You know what I mean? Like you could blame WWE or whatever, like like some people do, but I mean, a lot of that is on me too. You know what I mean? So there were a lot of things, whether it be from uh, from both sides, that uh, you know where that kind of just didn't didn't happen and. uh You know, it's unfortunate, but, you know, I can't always just live in regret over what potentially could have been or anything like that. You know, I just look back on a lot of the memories at this point in my life, and I'm very grateful to have been, you know, in the WWE at that point. You know what I mean? Like, to be a part of the Ruthless Aggression era and and being able to work with a lot of, uh, like we talked about before, a lot of guys that – You know, that were eventually obviously going to retire. And I was able to catch them before that because, you know, it'll never be like that again in the business, at least for me. You know, for some of these young guys coming up who are like, you know, in their early 20s, uh, they'll come to me at shows and they'll be like, hey, you know, I was watching you when I was like 10, you know, which trips me out because it's, you know, it's like, just, I understand that. You know what I mean? It's everything that we just talked about for me coming to business and it, it, you know, kind of trips you out a little bit. But um, there's definitely a missed opportunity. But, you know, what are you going to do? Like I said, I mean, maybe I was in line potentially for for a world title. I don't know for sure. I know definitely for a tag title and an IC t- title. But uh, unfortunately,
0: none of that happened for various circumstances. Who were you going to beat for the IC title?
1: Uh, Well, I think, see, the only thing I know that and I think the title was – I forgot who was the champion, but I remember the night because it was in Las Vegas and there was a four-way intercontinental title match. Like somebody even watching will probably be able to pick the night. You know, it was a Las Vegas, Monday Night Raw, and the IC title was decided in a four-way. And uh, my buddy, who just recently got me a PlayStation 5, thanks again, uh, Shelton Benjamin, ended up winning the belt that night. And, uh, you know, and... I think from what I was told, that was supposed to be me, but I had unfortunately gotten myself into trouble mm. and so it didn't happen, but it, it really completely actually made sense when I looked at the situation and, you know, it kind of, when I watched it unfold, it kind of broke my heart to see like, oh, like that was supposed to be me in that opportunity and, uh, you know, I completely messed it up.
0: And then it never came back around for you, which is the crazy thing. Like you never had another opportunity later on to win that championship.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's it. And then, well, I mean, it was probably, I'm trying to think of how much longer I was in the company. It was probably, you know, not much later. I mean, I ended up getting released and then, you know, eventually rehired
0: again. So yeah, it was, uh, those were a tough few years for me, I think. I mean, when you're a lifelong wrestling fan and you get signed at such a young age, you must be thinking, this is it. I'm gonna work here forever. I'm gonna retire in the WWE. And obviously, they they had different plans for you.
1: Yeah, but again, I I, I say that you know they had dip, different plans, but like it's probably a lot of it was brought on by me. You know what I mean? Like because I mean, you know, they didn't force me to go out and have the issues I had and fail the the tests that I did and all that stuff. So it, you know, it just it was what it was. Like I was young, and this goes back to what we were talking about, just being that young and not uh having the maturity and and the different life skills and stuff like that is kind of what led me probably to a lot of uh the bad decisions i was making in that time frame so you know i don't put it on like oh it's a the wwe had a different um idea for me or anything like that i just look at it like man i was young and dumb and unfortunately uh it caused me some opportunities and you know i just have to uh be at peace with that and try to move on and do, and do different things and some
0: of the things I'm doing now. You know, I mean, you get released, then a few years later, you get brought back. And from the outside looking in as a fan, your return felt different. It felt subdued. Did it feel mm-hmm. like that for you?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because I, I came back and, uh, you know i was on raw initially but i mean i spent a lot of the time on uh superstars essentially so i mean you know when you, it's a far different when when you're getting a push than when you're not getting a push so you know you can feel that obviously you know what i mean so that's definitely i mean that was the difference and but that you know that also kind of motivated me to try to become The best in-ring worker i could become which is what i
0: kind of really strive for in that next one you even had like a shorter entrance so i was like no the masterpiece has this amazing entrance and they like cut your (laughs) entrance down yeah
1: yeah it was like an abbreviated entrance but that was right
0: from the very get-go you know what i mean
1: so it's kind of like you know i kind of felt like when i came back i was kind of uh you know which is but kind of on probation, so to speak, a little bit. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. okay, we'll we'll give him an opportunity, but we're not completely you know, these made some bad decisions in the past, type of thing. And right. you know, we're not completely sure if we can uh, you know, invest in him or give him a ball type of thing.
0: Yeah, it's like when the girlfriend comes back after she's cheated on you, you're like, All right, I'll give you another chance, but not not completely sure about this. That's what it sounds like.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly.
0: Uh, you still like you still do a lot or you still keep in touch a lot with Carlito? Are you guys is, is that your closest friend in wrestling would you say? Uh, I would say so
1: man. Yeah, like he's pretty the only person in the business I talk to on a semi-regular basis, almost daily via text and I just spent uh I just came back from hanging out with him over in Houston actually for a good week. So uh, there's not many people I could say in the wrestling business or my regular life that I would go and spend a week at their house. So, uh, yeah, he's definitely one of my, uh, probably
0: my closest buddy, I'd say. So were you excited to see him back in WWE?
1: Oh my gosh, man. I mean, I watched his Royal Rumble entrance probably 15 times and, you know, it gave me goosebumps. And I, you know, when you see a guy come back after a decade, um as we all know i mean a a wrestling comeback is not 10 years a wrestling comeback is usually three four years like that's a long that's a long long time well yeah even six months but i'm saying like yeah it's six months a year two years you know it's not 10 years so a comeback for a guy like carly after a 10-year absence i mean it would be the same thing if i came back you know what i mean at this point because i've been out of the company since 2011 which i'd love to uh you know, it'd be exciting to come back for a Royal rumble or something like that. I must say, but, um, you know, going back to Carlito, I mean, to come back after 10 years and, um, just knowing everything he's been through he's in you know, comes back in the best shape of his life. And, um, you know, him just me being as close as I am to him. Like, yeah, it was really cool, man. And I was just so happy to see, uh, all the positive feedback. I mean, I, I, I got a bowl of popcorn and I sat back and I was uh, reading, uh, Uh, I was all over Twitter that night, you know, just seeing all the different reactions because I knew everybody, you know, a lot of people hadn't seen Carly on a big stage in a long time and they didn't really realize like uh, just how like the changes he'd made and, you know, he's like the best in the best condition of his life and all that stuff. So it was just funny to see everybody on Twitter kind of reacting and being like, Oh my God. And the different memes that came out and everybody just talking about how jacked he is and all of that. Like uh, I just thought uh, it was really cool. And I was like, as happy as you can get for another person, you know yeah. what I mean? That, that was it. You know, it was really cool.
0: So, I mean, it's been 10 years for him. It's been 10 years for you. Has has WWE been in touch with you during this last decade?
1: Uh, no, no. I mean, I, I'm at the point now, I mean, you never say never like, you know, I feel like they potentially could reach out again at some point, but, um, you know, I'm kind of at the point where I feel like, uh, you know, at this point now i feel like i've kind of been exiled to a certain point and we've seen it happen in the past i don't know you know what i mean i i like i said never say never like maybe they'll, they could reach out to me potentially for something but i've just kind of taken it off my uh list of you know just even goals at this point you know what i mean like i'm focusing on like the nwa i'm focusing on my education and stuff like that but um you know it obviously would be an exciting thing but um i don't know when you know when you haven't been reached out to in that period of time you just kind of feel like all right well you yeah. know that's
0: it And there's still a you know a big chunk of your fans in the audience that know you from your time in tna and you know i, I think that that was a solid run there yeah yeah, yeah it was
1: cool man like i don't I, i'm glad to have had it and all of that i don't i didn't i don't know i didn't even factor honestly, until you, (laughs) well, you know why, you know why? Because, you know, I, while I was doing impact, there were so many wrestling fans that would come up to me and still be like, when are you coming back? Or, or it's like, they hadn't seen it any of the impact wrestling stuff and I I know that, you know, there's a lot of wrestling fans out there that, that, and they, they see impact. It's just, uh, you know, I, I, it's not every day that I had somebody coming up to me and being like, Oh, your impact was awesome.
0: Yeah. But thank you. You worked under your real name there briefly, which I thought was very interesting.
1: Yeah. You know, I mean, it was just an opportunity that came along. I had been working with Jeff Jarrett before that with the global force wrestling. And then the, you know, impact wrestling thing kind of happened and the merger and Jeff recruited me and I, I had developed a good relationship with Jeff going back to Rinka King in India. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Jeff kind of recognized me for kind of the underrated worker that I was. And he, uh, he liked that. So, uh, and then he would use me from that point on. He used me in global force. And then he ended up bringing me into impact. But then, you know, when Jeff ended up leaving impact, it felt like, uh, you know, my guy, I kind of lost my guy. And, uh, you know, essentially, you know, my days were kind of numbered there. I thought not, not in like, not as that they had released me, but it just, you know, there were a number of factors, you know what I mean? Like money and stuff like that, that made it, uh, you know, made it not the best situation for me at that
0: point. Yeah. You know, the first person to ever break the master lock was Bobby Lashley. And here yep. we are, it's coming full circle. Bobby Lashley now uses the master lock.
1: Yeah. yeah. I I mean I've talked to MVP about this and uh I don't do there. You, you must have been getting a phone Did call. You? No, no, it actually it's just my phone battery saying it's low. Um we, we tried to do this on a computer, but now we had to go on the phone, and now the phone battery is low. But, um, So, yeah, you know, it only makes sense, right? Like, if anybody's going to use the full Nelson, the guy who broke it, and a guy who's such a physical force like Bobby Lashley, I mean, to me, it's hard to even argue with it. You know what I mean? It just kind of makes sense. But um, it, it was funny, you know, when he first started using it, all the different mentions and stuff like that, of people talking, about, hey, that's not the, that's the master lock. That's not the herd lock and all that type of stuff. And, um, I mean, I'd be, li- I'd be lying if I didn't say it didn't, in my mind, create an opportunity for something, you know, even if it was small in terms of, uh, you know, who's got the best full Nelson in the professional wrestling. But, um, you know, who knows if anybody would even want to see that. But, you um, You know, I still think that, you know, if somebody was, it's been, first of all, it's been, again, like you said, it's been 10 years. And usually, usually finishers are recycled well before the 10-year mark. You know what I mean? Like, we were talking about Carlito a minute ago. You know, his backstabber was recycled not even, what, three or four years later with uh, Alberto Del Rio. So, I mean, you know, for nobody to use the phone for 10 years is, you know, it's a pretty long time. And, you know, the guy who broke it, you know, guy that big. I mean, it just, it kind of makes sense. But, uh, it totally you know, maybe sense.
0: Master Lock right. versus Hurt Lock. I, th- I think that the Master Lock versus the Hurt Lock makes perfect sense. Yeah. yeah.
1: Have you talked well, to Bobby since? Uh, You know, we follow each other on Instagram. And um, I don't think I've seen him since he's been in WWE. But, like, you know, we hung out in Impact Wrestling and stuff. So, uh, you know, I've known Bobby since Louisville. So, OVW. So I mean, you know, Bobby's someone I've known in this business for a long time. So I mean, uh, you know, people ask me if Bobby asked me for permission to use the lock, and I, you know, I I remember I I responded to somebody on Twitter and said no, and they made this big thing, or somebody said, oh, does he have to? And I'm like, no, that's not what I was getting at. No, he doesn't have to ask me for permission. Of course not. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like uh, again, like. Bobby essentially is a guy I've known in this business for so long. And, uh, you know, to me, it only makes sense. So, uh, you know, he, he wouldn't have to ask me. That's not a thing. And, um, you know, I'm just, I'm glad to see guys like Bobby Lashley and Drew McIntyre doing as well as they, they are. Cause, uh, you know, Drew's another guy for me. I've always known Drew's ability. Like I had some of the best matches of my career with him back in twenty eleven. This is when he wasn't being pushed or anything. I just saw the talent he had and the ability he had. So for me, uh, you know, I like seeing the like those two guys going at it, you know, and, and you know, in the WrestleMania and all that.
0: Are you still as big of a wrestling fan now that you were when you grew up?
1: No, I don't I don't think I'll ever like I don't I don't think I'll ever be able to duplicate that because now it's it's different. You know what I mean? It's what I do for work. But like I will say that, um, you know, even through the pandemic, I found myself on a, on many occasions, uh, you know, I'll, when I go through YouTube, I'll seek out. Um, old professional wrestling and watch it, you know what I mean? And, you know, I've become a fan of a, a lot of the various podcasts, including yourself and, you know, Something the Wrestle is always an interesting listen, Jim Cornette, of course. But um, I don't know, it's a, it's a tough question to ask. Like, no, I don't follow raw every week, like the you know, everything that's going on now. I don't follow it religiously. I see what's going on and I, you know, I see it through various outlets, whether it's YouTube, Instagram or whatever. But um, my real wrestling fandom is anything from nine, uh, 1998 and before that. You know what I mean? It's mm. that whole time frame of wrestling. So I'll go back and I'll watch various stuff. You know, like the other day I was watching Hot Rod Roddy Roddy Piper and Bret the Hitman Hart from, uh, you know, WrestleMania. I think it was WrestleMania 8. You know what oh, I mean? Man. So Yeah, like that. that's the stuff I like to watch. And, um, you know, as kind of my, you know, in my leisure time so to speak or even you know my favorite couple of years of professional wrestling was uh 1997 leading into 1998 because you had you know the monday night wars you had heel brett the hitman hart doing the canadian thing which was to my vision or my opinion the most awesome version of brett you had sean uh transit transitioning into a heel you had stone cold transitioning in the stone cold just so many different things going off that were laying the groundwork for now eventually the attitude era which was the wrestling boom and um so for me those were the two years i hold you know nearest and dearest to my
0: heart yeah do you think about life after wrestling like you and i are the same age do you think about life after wrestling uh, yeah,
1: now I do, you know, uh, because, of uh, like you said, my age and, you know, a lot of that is why I'm working on, you know, education and stuff like that now, because, uh, I'm 38 years old. So, I mean, uh, I might still be in good shape and stuff like that, but, uh, you know, I've got to start thinking of, uh, other things to do with myself, you know what I mean? Cause I mean, you know, we all, you know, most of us plan to try to live a long, fulfilling life. So you can't just stop it with, even if you've made your living and stuff, and you're doing doing great you don't want to just stop you know with that you know i mean you want to be a productive person so um for me a lot of that is you know the education and the various things i'm doing there but it's also uh in terms of pro wrestling it's looking at the potential of you know what else can i do in pro wrestling and like one of the things i've thought about more recently is um producing which is you know like you know um you know they used to call them agents of professional wrestling but a producer is uh you know, kind of the third brain in a match. It's the person who essentially, you know, two guys will bounce their ideas off of. It's the guy that also will give the two participants their outcome and their time and all that. But, um, you know, I love the creative process. I like the part when, you know, I'm getting together with my opponent and I'm talking it out with him and I like having that producer in there to bounce, hey, you know, we'll come up with some ideas, but then we're like, Hey, what do you, what do you think of this? You know what I mean? Or how can this be improved? And to me, that that's a part of the business. I've come to understand a lot better throughout the uh, kind of second half of my career. The kind of the storytelling aspect, the selling aspect, you know, all the little things that break, you know, that break up to make a, uh, a good match. Yeah. So, um, you know, that's the stuff I've kind of been looking at more lately or kind of open my, uh, open my mind to and you know eventually maybe that's something that i can do uh, to be
0: you know to contribute to the business
1: and still uh, potentially make a living in the business i
0: mean if you talk about education you're getting a ged are you then looking ahead to do you want to get a college degree well i mean i've looked at college courses but
1: there hasn't been anything specifically that has stood out yet so i'm starting at with the ged um And, you know, if anything, I'd like, you know, another thing I've been looking into is a lot like kind of what you're doing in terms of, uh, you know, the podcasting, broadcasting, sports broadcasting, stuff like that. You know, I do a Lakers Nation podcast, um, which uh, gets a ton of viewers. Not by, they're not Chris Masters people either. I mean, these are just Laker fans. Uh, You know, the Lakers Nation um, platform is a big platform with a lot of followers. It's like the, it's the fan site for Lakers. and. so that's been a fun, really fun thing to do for me because it's given me like a lot of my followers now aren't just wrestling people. They're Lakers, Laker fans. And uh, that's something I'm really passionate about. Like, I love basketball. I love uh, the NBA. I love you know sports in general. But um, so, you know, that's been kind of a fun thing to do in, in order to kind of, uh, you know, get some experience doing that. It's almost been to me, it's felt like an internship because uh, it's a place where I can um be a co-host to my you know my, my the host which is trevor lane and uh you know there's a lot of people watching and you know i have got to discuss something that isn't professional wrestling even it's yeah. basketball and but it's fun because i truly love it and i believe purple and gold so it's it's not work it's fun
0: i've been in la since last summer and i will say one thing about la is there's not a lot of sports fans here so it's so exciting hearing that you're like a die hard lakers fan and anyone that follows you on social media saw like when kobe passed away you were right there you were at staples center you were there for the memorial like i feel like in a way and i don't want to put words in your mouth but it it felt like you were losing a family member
1: oh man yeah it was tough man i I couldn't even believe it you know when i had to have my girlfriend at the time even read the headline to me when i because once i knew it was real i don't know I was so messed up about it and didn't know what to do with myself. And I did what a lot of people did. I just drove to Staples Center, drove right to Staples Center and just, you know, we all just stood out there and mourned, man. And I mean, to me, I've told people this before, for Los Angeles, it was like if there was a true, if there was a real Batman, it was the, it was the equivalent of Gotham City losing its Batman. That's what Kobe Bryant passing away was to Los Angeles. Like, he inspired that city and he was just... He was a special person, man. And, yeah, like, it it hit the world, but it really hit Los Angeles hard. And, like, it was just – it was a tough year for that stuff, man, because not only, you know, Kobe, but then, you know, the Shad Gaspar thing happened and that. I mean, those two tragedies, I mean, it was so weird because they both hurt so bad. But, like, it was weird because I personally knew Shad, you know what I mean? So that you can understand. Like, I didn't personally know Kobe, but Kobe is one of my all-time – most uh you know sports heroes or inspirations or muses or whatever you would want to call that so you know those two tragedies amongst uh, various others i mean obviously it was a tough year for that all of that but um you know it was tough it was you know the kobe and shad thing felt like just two tragedies two of the worst tragedies you could ever um ever imagine in a lifetime you know you were close you were close to shad like you're both la guys too yeah, well, I mean, you know, Shad had moved to L.A. Shad wasn't yeah. an L.A. guy originally. I had met Shad in OVW again, so I'd known him since the very beginning of this whole wrestling journey. And he eventually moved to Los Angeles maybe. I don't know if it was like 2015, something like that, 2014. But I'll tell you what, man, there wasn't a guy I've ever seen move to Los Angeles and get over the way Shad did. Just for, you know, he would be – he used to drive me crazy because he'd be at gold Gym Venice literally every – Time I went there, Shad would be there, and I'd just be like, What is going on, man? Are you living here? Or what, like, what is this? Is this some 20 hour workout I don't know about that I need to start? So, um, but, um, yeah, but Shad really developed a lot of love in that whole community, man. Like everybody in Gold's Gym Venice, man. The turnout that he had when he passed at the beach, and you know, from that, and then Arnold Schwarzenegger going to his memorial at Gold's Venice and posting a picture about it. I mean, it was just, it was so Shad Gaspar to kind of go out in such spectacular fashion the way he did, you know, to be such a hero and for so many people, uh, you know, we we made a lot of jokes about it and we just, we, we found it so funny that Shad, knowing his personality the way we all did, would go out in a way that like, I mean, I hope he gets that um, Hall of Fame, you know, that warrior, warrior, warrior. You know I mean, like. Yeah, like I know it didn't happen for him this year, but I still think Shad needs to be a contender for that. I know that they, you know, put Titus O'Neil in that spot, but uh, and, and it sounds like he was very deserving of that. But, uh, you know, I'd like to see Shad, even if it's next year, still be recognized because, I mean, just what he did, man, for his son, it was just such a heroic act, man, and just such a – I don't know. It was just – cra- you know, and I lived – the thing about that that was so crazy is I was living in Marina Del Rey, and uh, that is literally – I mean, it's basically three blocks east of where he drowned. So, I mean, I was just, every day that we had discovered his body, I mean, I, it just, you know, this feeling in your stomach of just being kind of sick, just knowing that your 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 boy is out there and they can't find him. So, um, yeah, that's uh, some tough stuff to look back on, man.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's the place. I dropped you off at that place in Marina Del Rey, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, you did. Yep. That's, yep. That was, uh, I like that community over there. It was nice. Yeah, that was cool. I
0: was, (laughs) I was blown away that when we got to Texas, we were hungry, we needed to eat. There's an In-N-Out across the street from the hotel and a guy that looks like you eats In-N-Out. This was mind blowing to me.
1: (laughs) Hey, I'm a California guy, man. Like we live, we love In-N-Out. That's one thing about us. And uh, I think most People who come to California, I mean, one of the questions you always ask is like, did you get some In-N-Out? Did you go by in out And, uh, you know, I don't want to go into a whole thing on in out but, uh, you know, a lot of people, it's funny with in out because you'll have people who swear by it and then some people who feel like it's overrated, yeah. you know what I mean? So it's either
0: internet n out or Whataburger. And then there's a bunch of people that are like, no, five guys is the best.
1: Uh, Exactly, exactly. It is that. And uh, I don't know, for me, In-N-Out's just got the freshest, like, you know, it's not that they do anything particularly um, innovative. It's just all their stuff is fresh to death. I mean, that's why it's a West Coast company. If you ever watch a documentary on In-N-Out, you'll have a lot of respect for kind of what they do in terms of paying their employees and the, the, the freshness of their products and not compromising that freshness by expanding too much so uh it's an awesome company and i love the burgers man those double doubles
0: you can't i guess to me, I'm, just more, well, go ahead. I'm just blown away that you can you know look like you look and eat fast food
1: well no you can't that's the thing i you know people always say that like you can't do in and out every day but i mean there are points in time you know where you just gotta say F it, and you're like you know i'm gonna you know that was in a circumstance where in and out was the best option available so i'm gonna take it you know i mean like i can live with the fact me personally if i eat in and out like once a week you know that's not a big thing for me like you know what i mean like as a matter of fact you know usually my goal on a weekly basis is you know because at this point i usually work weekends uh, you know when there isn't a pandemic obviously sure and so uh, my whole goal is Monday through Friday to get in all of my workouts and try to eat as good as possible so that on the weekend I can be allowed, not only do I ha- not have to train on Saturday and Sunday, but I can also, if, you know, when I go to the various places to wrestle, I can kind of, uh, you know, I can eat a little more freely. Like I can go to in and out Burger with you because I know that, you know, for the whole week I've been at least, you know, for the most part, I haven't been eating fried food and stuff like that.
0: Yeah. It's it's encouraging for me to think about that. Uh, okay. Once a week. Okay. Once a week. I like pizza a lot, so this makes me feel good. So as the month's <laughs> starting to open up a little bit more, you're open for bookings.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, and things have started to pick up a little bit already, which is nice. I mean, I don't know about you, but I've just been hoping that since <laughs> since this whole pandemic has gone down, you know, I've just been hoping that we're – going to come out of it and the economy starts roaring and everybody's working again and there's a lot of pent-up demand for, you know, just various things, you know, like people want to get, you know, get the engine going, the the engine of the economy. So, I mean, that translates to everything. So, you know, it's nice to see pro wrestling kind of going on a little bit with NWA, uh, kind of, uh, opening doors again. And we're obviously doing that and then just working, uh, various shows, uh, being the Florida show I just did. I'm going to, uh, be in a couple weeks. I'll be in, uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana for a show working against my old buddy Carlito. And then, uh, you know, even, uh, Miami at the, uh, next month. So, uh, it's nice to see that because, I mean, again, we were coming from a place where, man, I mean, I've never had such an, a wide open calendar in, uh, you know, since I started wrestling. But, I mean, that was, if you weren't a WWE wrestler or an AEW wrestler, that was pretty much everybody, man. I mean, yeah. you know, we've all, been, we've all been hit by this pandemic to some extent. You know what I mean? Some more than others, but I think everybody's been hit to
0: some extent. So is the best way for people to find you on Twitter or Instagram?
1: yeah yeah for bookings you know i'm uh on instagram it's chris masters 310 on twitter even though uh you've been trying to get me to switch it, it's at chris adonis but uh you know and then i obviously do a lot of my bookings through email too which is masterpiece 83 at gmail.com but yeah anybody who's uh you know got a show lined up or anything uh on the horizon for uh you know for the year 2021 here uh feel free to reach out because I am taking bookings. Let's get back to work.
0: America. Yeah. Book Chris masters for the master lock challenge. That's what we should do.
1: Oh yeah. Cause that's an easy payday. <laughs> Whenever, uh, it's funny. Whenever anybody books me for a master lock challenge, I'm like, really? That's it.
0: And you're like, I don't have to wrestle. Okay. Sounds good. Yeah. Right. It comes in handy. I'm so happy to have you back on the show, Chris. Thank you so much.
1: Oh, yeah, man. It's been great to uh, be on with you again. And uh,
0: I just hope that I can be
1: physically back in Los Angeles soon so we can hang out and maybe actually do one of these interviews in
0: person because that would be Let's awesome. do it. What are, you, what are you waiting for? Get out here.
1: Where, I'm waiting for L.A. to open back up, man. But I, I heard we got the news, that I think, yesterday that
0: uh, you guys are opening up June 15th. So uh, I might have to start looking at this more seriously. Yeah, the governor just tweeted that if things keep going the way they are, that the state will be fully open June 15th. Yeah, that's And amazing. California is so locked down with all of their rules. So if California says June 15th, this is great news for everybody. Yeah, well, that's the part that shocked me
1: when I heard it because I know LA has been a lot more concerned or California has been more conservative with uh, the lockdown. And then I'm here in Michigan now, and and you know the numbers are going up here. So it's kind of one of those things. It seems like a lot of touch. I'm just hoping with LA or, or California in general that once it's open, it's able to stay open, and wow. we don't have this because you know this thing where it's open and then oh wait a minute, numbers are going up type of thing. But um, you know, hopefully enough Americans get vaccinated. I don't know how you feel about that, but I feel like I'm at a point. I, I know there's a lot of, and this is a whole other topic. We won't go into it, but I know there's a lot of anti-vaxxers out there. But for me personally, I know that I'm going to have to get it if I want to work in some of these countries. So it's just yes. kind of a non-choice. So I'm, I'm kind of anxious to get it because then it just means I can go everywhere I need to go.
0: Yeah. I end every interview, Chris, by talking about gratitude, which is such an important thing in my own life. So what are three things in your life that you're grateful for right now?
1: Uh, Three things I'm grateful for. I'm grateful for my health. I'm grateful for the opportunity of NWA. And I'm also grateful for the drive I have at this point in my life to do you know all these various things whether it be the wrestling the education just you know just you know to diversify my portfolio and try different things and be enthusiastic about you know not just wrestling that that's always been one of the things for me wrestling has been the only thing i've been enthusiastic about in my life so developing that's always going to be there developing enthusiasm for other things has been um an important thing for me and i think i've gotten to that point
0: i love it Chris, thank you so much. Thanks for
1: having me, Chris.
0: Well, there it is, my friend. A big thank you to Chris Masters for this great conversation. And a big thank you to you for being on this audio adventure with us. Chris is doing some great stuff in NWA right now. So if you haven't checked it out yet, I highly encourage you to check it out. Take a screenshot. Let us know what stood out for you the most in this conversation. Tag us on social media. I'm at Chris Van Vliet. Chris Masters is at ChrisMasters310 on Instagram and at Chris Adonis on Twitter. And speaking of Twitter, I tweeted out this quote from Charles Darwin last week that really spoke to me. A man who dares to waste one hour of time has not discovered the value of life. One more time, one more time. A man who dares to waste one hour of time has not discovered the value of life. There we go. Be great. Be grateful, my friends. We will see you on the next one for some more insight. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you.